Hebrews chapter 13, 17, 17 to 19. Hebrews 13, 17 to 19. Obeying and praying for leaders. Obeying and praying for leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you'll teach us from this portion of your holy and righteous word what it means to obey and to pray for our leaders. Give us, Lord, a renewed understanding and a renewed sense and urgency to do so, since they are commissioned to be the faithful and sincere, genuine ministers of your word, the true and living gospel. Teach us, Father, from your word and be present with your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, we're now at the last part of the exhortation in this epistle. The whole letter or the whole epistle is an exhortation. However, in chapter 13, it's more of an exhortation on practical living, practical living and day-by-day personal life, family life, and church life. And in verses 17 to 19, he is focused here on church life how it is that the people of the church should be in relation to their leaders in the church. And in verse 17, he says that they should obey their leaders and submit to them. We are reminded of this fact that each of these exhortations in this chapter begin with an imperative or command, something that should be obeyed. He has done so from paragraph to paragraph throughout this chapter. And so he does so as he concludes this section in verses 17 to 19. And here he says in 17, obey your leaders, submit to them. And then in 17, let them do this with joy. Let them is another way of expressing an imperative or command. Let them do this with joy. And then in verse 19, pray for us, pray for us. And then in verse uh, verse 18, pray for us. And in verse 19, I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. These are the ways in which now he concludes his exhortation. And why does he do this? He does this because he wants peace and harmony in the local churches. He wants peace and harmony or love of brother, love of neighbor manifested in the local church so that the local church can focus on glorifying God, honoring God, preaching the gospel, and living the gospel, instead of constantly having to deal with friction and disputes in the local church. The desire is for there to be harmony and peace, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as it says in Ephesians 4. He desires this, and this is why he is exhorting the people. Now, it is this very thing that Satan attacks. Satan attacks this very thing. While the sheep are in the fold, while the sheep are grazing in the pasture, who is it that comes to disrupt the harmony and the peace of the sheep grazing 
in the pasture. It is the wolves. It is the coyotes. It is these kinds of people uh, characterized as these wild animals who come to invade and come to destroy and upset the peace and harmony of the sheep as they are feeding on the pasture which their shepherd has provided for them. And here he understands that and knows that, so he's trying to fend off all kinds of attacks from without and even from within. And this is his exhortation, uh, his positive, constructive way to prepare ourselves from what is on the outside or what may invade on the inside. And how does it manifest itself? Verse 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them. He's using these two synonyms, basically saying, do what they say. Do what they say. Obey and submit. These are synonyms of the same thing. Do what they say. Instead of grumbling, instead of mumbling, instead of being ungrateful, instead of fault-finding, obey and submit to what they teach. This should be the humble attitude of the people who hear the word of God when they are hearing their leaders explain and teach and live according to that, that's what they should be doing. They should be obeying and submitting. So this requires humility. It requires teachability. It requires quietness. It requires patience. It requires the desire to contemplate and understand and then obey what they say. That's what it requires in those who hear. Now, those who are leading... He calls them leaders, just as he did in verse 7. Remember those who led you, or remember your leaders, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. By leaders, he means the elders and the deacons. He's talking about the local church. He's not talking about the governmental officials, the magistrates, which has its own place, but that's not the context here. The context here is leadership in the local church, the elders and the deacons, such as they are mentioned in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the elders and the deacons. That's what he means. Furthermore, when he's saying obey your leaders, he's not talking about just any leader of a local church. He's not talking about just any leader or any preacher of the gospel, any minister or any pastor, any elder. He's not talking about that as though we should be completely undiscerning, completely ignorant, and completely as, as yes men toward these leaders. He does not mean it that way. Why? We know from verse 7, he says, who spoke the word of God to you. So these are the ministers who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. He's talking about godly leaders, not just any leader, a godly leader. And who is a godly leader? One who speaks the word of God to you. One who perseveres in the face of persecution, even to the point of death, considering the result or the outcome, the end of their conduct, which he presumably includes death, that they were persecuted to the point of death. They never reneged, they never recanted, they never denied Christ, they endured until the end. And he says, imitate their faith. Therefore, he is talking about godly leaders, faithful leaders 
those who persevered and those who preached the truth and lived the truth before the people. That's the kind of leader he's talking about. He's not talking about the wicked leaders. He's not talking about the exploiters. He's not talking about the greedy men. He's not talking about the false teachers. He's not talking about heretics and antichrists. He's not talking about any pe people like that, any leaders like that. Of course he is not talking about that because his whole letter has been exhorting the people to believe the truth and not believe what their persecutors are telling them to believe. The whole letter has been that way. And the Bible is that way in many, many other places, teaching us to beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In many places, the scriptures speak of false leaders in this way. He's not saying, listen to the false leaders. Just as he would not be saying, listen to your parents if they are teaching you to murder, commit adultery, to steal, and to covet, and to lie. Right? He would not be teaching anybody to listen to parents who teach that. And even in the government. If the government teaches us to murder, to commit adultery, to lie, to cheat, to steal, if the government teaches us to do those things, then we should not do that. We should disobey. The context is always whether the leader is a godly or an ungodly leader. So if they are godly, obey them to the extent that they teach you what the Word of God says. Let's look at an example of this from Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. 17.10. Acts 17.10. The apostles have been going from city to city, preaching the gospel, and they have just departed Thessalonica, and now they come to another city, Berea. Verse 10. 17.10. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Notice here that these two cities, the Christians in these two cities are compared to one another. And though the Thessalonians believed, some of them believed, and they were commended for their belief, the attitude that preceded the belief of the Bereans is explained in verse 11. What was the attitude that these Bereans had so that they are called more noble-minded? More noble-minded. They received the word with great eagerness, that's one. They examined the scriptures daily. Two, to see whether these things were so. Number three, those were the things they did. They received it with great eagerness, examined the scriptures daily, and they tested to see whether these things were so. They tested Paul and Silas, and they are commended for doing that. And in the same way, we are supposed to Obey leaders and submit to them to the extent that you are humbly receiving the word and examining the scriptures daily to see if that's what the scripture says. 
And if that's what the scripture says, then obey. And meantime, don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a fault finder. Don't nitpick your leaders. Furthermore, back to Hebrews 13. Why in Hebrews 13, 17, are we to obey and submit to the leaders? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Here it's clear he is speaking of church leaders because it says, for they keep watch over your souls. And he's giving the reason. In the immediate context, he's saying, obey and submit to them because or for they keep watch over your souls. The task to which God has called them is not a minor task. It's not a worldly task. There are many occupations of the world that are necessary, but this occupation is not just in the world, but it is in the church, and it has to do with human souls, which are more valuable than the human body, and which are more valuable than animals and plants and rocks. The human soul is that which will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. It's the human soul. And because they have charge, they keep watch, they have an obligation, a responsibility to keep watch over souls. Therefore, what they say that is good for the soul or what they say that is bad for the soul, we have to pay attention to that. We have to pay attention to that. We have to consider. We're not just merely simply asking our dentist about our teeth. We're not asking the car mechanic about our car. We're not asking the salesman about the clothing products that he has to sell to us. These are more important things. So if they are more important, we ought to have that much more fear of God, humility, and a desire to learn exactly what the Word of God says. Because these men have charge, they keep watch over our souls. So therefore... Consider what they are doing and appreciate what they are doing. Not only consider it, but appreciate it. If we were to appreciate it, then that would keep us grateful instead of grumbly. It would keep us grateful in what they are doing. Not only that, they keep watch over our souls as those who will give an account. They are going to give an account. They are responsible, James 3, 1 says, Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. The teachers of the word, whether they have official roles or not, the teachers of the word, especially those who have an official role as an elder or pastor, these leaders are going to give an account before God one day. God will expect of them to give an account. Why did you preach and teach what you did? And if it was wrong, they will be held accountable. And also, not only what they preached, but how they lived. And not only how they lived, how they expected others to live. They're going to give an account for all of these things. And they understand that. The true preachers and teachers understand that one day before God in heaven, on the day of judgment, they will give an account. James 3.1, 1 
reminds us of that. And other scriptures also remind us of the fact that all of us shall give an account. The leaders and the followers in the local church, we all shall give an account before God. Turn, for example, a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, in this case, he's talking about the unbelievers shall give an account. Let's continue. 1 Peter 4, 17. 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Here, he's telling everybody in the church, both leaders and followers in the church, from 1 Peter 4.17, God's going to judge the household of God first. We are going to be held accountable for the things we do. And also the unbelieving world will be held accountable. So, we must entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So if the men who lead us as elders and pastors of churches and even some deacons of churches, when they teach the people, they are going to be held accountable before God. Then he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Let them do it with joy, not with grief. Because if it is with grief, then it would be unprofitable for you. It's not going to benefit you. It's not going to help you. One one example, one common example of this is Moses. When Moses led the people out of Egypt and they entered the wilderness... Even when they were in Egypt, and even at the Red Sea, they grumbled and disputed against Moses. But it intensified in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, chapters 11 to 25. In the middle part of the book of Numbers, 11 to 25, the people of Israel grumbled and disputed against Moses so much, that is, the whole congregation did so, and certain segments did so, such as, certain men from the tribe of Levi and from the tribe of Reuben rose up against Moses, 250 of them rose up against Moses. And then there was even Aaron and Miriam, or Miriam and Aaron, as it says in Numbers 12, verse 1. They rose up, even though they should have known better, they they rose up against Moses and quarreled with him unnecessarily. And what happened to Moses with all of these incidents? whether the whole nation or a a large segment of it or the spies, the 12 spies, 10 of the 12 spies, or even his own siblings who were prophets, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, they all were prophets or a prophetess to some extent, Moses being the most significant among the three. And what did Moses experience? Many times he had to fall on his knees. Many times he had to to cry out in exasperation to God about what 
to do with these complaining and grumbling and bitter people. Many times he had to do so, and he was filled with grief. And to such an extent, they bothered him with these kinds of complaints that one time he lost control. He lost control, and because he lost control, in Numbers chapter 20, God said, okay, because you did this, you cannot enter the land of Canaan. I'll let you see it, but you will not be able to experience the land of Canaan. Now, when that happened to Moses, he could not lead them all the time with joy, but often with grief. It was not only unprofitable for Moses because eventually he could not see the land of Canaan or uh, experience the land of Canaan. See it, but not enjoy it by personal touch and experience. He could not see it that way. So it was unprofitable in that extent to Moses. But was it not also for the people? In Numbers chapter 12, did not Miriam suffer leprosy for seven days and have to live outside the camp for seven days because she was the main culprit or the instigator with Aaron against Moses? In the case of Numbers chapter 16, did not 250 of the people or or literally 254 men of the people and their families die by a massive sudden earthquake, right? In number 16, did they not die instantly? Die alive and go to the grave, go to hell alive? They went to Sheol alive? Did that not happen? So it was unprofitable for them. And then what about the whole nation in the wilderness? Didn't God say in Numbers chapter 14 that all these men of war, the 600,000 and the people they influenced, those who grumbled and complained against Moses, did not they die in the wilderness? They could not conquer the land of Canaan and it was for their sons to rise up 40 years later to conquer the land of Canaan. They could not enter the land of Canaan. It was unprofitable for them as well. These are just a few examples of how when we cause grief to the godly leaders, it's not only causing them grief and at times causing them to sin, but it's also unprofitable for the people. That's a warning. It's a warning not to have God judge us for the things we do against the godly leaders. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. Instead, what should we do? Verse 18. 18 and 19. Verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Here the apostle requests prayer. Now, if one in the assembly is consistently praying for those that lead them, then he, he will not grumble and dispute. He will have a proper attitude. So the constructive, positive thing to do is to pray for one's leaders. Pray for them. We need each other and we need to be protected. The elders should be praying for the church and the church should be praying for the elders of the church. It should be mutual. 
It should be both ways. It's not just that they are preachers, they are prayer um, prayer warriors or prayer leaders for the people of the church. But on the other hand, the people should be praying for them. And why? Because not only does the wolf attack the sheep, but the wolf, if he has enough power, if he sees a disarmed or defenseless leader, the shepherd, he'll attack the shepherd too. That also happens, that wolves attack the shepherd. But the shepherd has to be protected. And how is he protected? He's protected by the full armor of God. And in a part of the full armor of God is this desire for him to withstand all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And that requires protection, prayerful protection of the leaders. And also he says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. He's saying, just like the Apostle Paul in Acts 23.1, and just like the Apostle Peter exhorted all of us to have in 1 Peter 3.16, have a good conscience. The Apostle Paul says, I've been living my life with a perfectly good conscience. I am not a malicious man. I'm not seeking to exploit you. I'm not seeking to pursue fame, fortune, and fun. I'm not trying to use the church for my own wicked ends. I'm not that kind of a man. And therefore, I am living my life with a perfectly good conscience. So, I know that about myself, and I need to say this because you suspect otherwise of me. And therefore, I have to say it so that you know clearly where I stand about my own conscience. I have such a good conscience about what I'm trying to accomplish that you should understand this about me. I, I have such conviction about who I am that I tell you I am living with a good conscience. And not only with the good conscience on the inside, but good conduct on the outside. Conscience and conduct. Desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Honorably in all things. We live in a way that is plain and open in the sight of all. We tell you what we think. We tell you what we desire. We tell you exactly what we believe the Bible is teaching. We're, we are not double talkers. We're not double-minded and unstable in all our ways. We're not trying to hoodwink you. We're telling you exactly what we think and how the Christian life ought to be lived. Therefore, that should be commended. That should, that should be commended by you, that you observe and pray for the way we live. And when he says, conduct ourselves honorably in all things, yes, back to verse 7. Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate them because they are not deceivers. They are not liars. They are not wolves in sheep's clothing. Live and pray for them. Live according to the way they live and pray for them. And verse 19, And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He urges them, which is another way of expressing the, the significance of this, the importance of it, or the urgency of it. I urge you all the more to do this. To do what? 
to pray for them, to live a life of a good conscience and good conduct, to obey what they say according to the Word of God because they are living for that day of judgment. They are going to be held accountable, and not only will they be held accountable, but you also will be held accountable in terms of your relationship to them. And what does he want ultimately? Remember we said this is about the local church, verse 19, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He is separated from them. That's why he's writing this letter, to make sure that they increase and grow in their Christian life. But he wants to actually be present with them. He wants to be among them so that they can pursue their Christian life together in harmony, pursuing the truth. This is what he desires. Which desire should be of all the godly? His desire to be restored to them, to be among them, to be with them, is similar to what David says in Psalm 119. Psalm 119.63, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. He seeks to be companions of God-fearers and those who keep or obey the word of God. 119, verse 74. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. Those who fear God, may they see me and be joyful, glad, because I wait or I hope for your word. They fear God. They hope for the word of God. I fear God. I hope in the word of God. So let us be with each other to have this joy of knowing God together and learning and growing and worshiping and glorifying Him together. And also verse 79. 119.79 May those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. Characteristic of the believers is that they want to be with each other to learn, to grow, to encourage, to pray, to fellowship over the things of God and pursue the Christian life together, to pursue holiness and righteousness, and to pursue the spread of the kingdom, to pursue the glory of God. This is how the local church ought to be. Now, let's just look at a couple of other scriptures on the same subject that summarize these things similar to the way that it is here. The first one, we'll go to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men but God, who examines our hearts, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. 
having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another, and we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another evil with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The apostle in these places, he is clearly re, um, repeating or emphasizing things that we've been learning in Hebrews chapter 13. The apostle is living his life with a good conscience. He is exhorting the people to follow or imitate the way he lives because he knows it is in accordance with the scripture. Therefore, those who are hearing it, they should examine that and see the difference between the life of their own elders compared to the life of the false elders. And therefore, have assurance for themselves that they are doing what is right and pursuing the truth. This is how we ought to be. Shall we be this way? When we hear those who are preaching and teaching, may we not be fault finders, but may we be those who examine what they say, obey what they say, and then live accordingly. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.